Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. And welcome to the 226th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And we have so much fun in store for you tonight. Um, we've got one of my favorite configurations of our crew, uh, and including a guy who's coming off of the disabled list for a short stint tonight. He's he's not feeling well. He's been battling illness, but he's coming anyway. Um, and that is Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB. Evan, you like were well enough to fly to California and get into all sorts of mayhem with Josh Cashman, but you're not well enough to stick here for a full show, huh? Yeah, so I I got a bug in LA. I was fine flying to LA. I left. I, maybe it was that stadium that gave me something. Um, but no, I uh, I saw Cashman all weekend in LA, which was fun. We hit Disneyland. We uh, we uh, obviously went to the game, had a blast. But um, unfortunately, I caught another bug. I feel like I've been sick all year, so it's a bummer. But but I'm here, happy to talk some Seahawks with you guys. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and definitely looking forward to hearing a little bit more about your trip being in the stadium as the Seahawks did what they did. Uh, while some people were flipping the bird, uh, Evan was flipping something else entirely. We'll, we'll find out what. Um, 
Uh, Dana O'Gorman, at Dana OG on Twitter. Dana, like, what's going on with you? How's, how's life? Life is good. I'm getting ready for this Germany trip. I'm so excited. It's like 12 days now before we leave. It's going to be such a blast. Yeah. And lined up, I'm going to do the breakfast and after party with Lofa, Tatifu, and KJ, right? So that should be a lot of fun. I'm excited about that. But um, yeah, pretty much just, you know, it's so funny. I totally forgot Halloween was next week because I don't have little kids anymore. So I kind of <laughs> escaped my brain. But um, I was very, um, very excited that that's coming up because that means that trip's right on the corner. So nice. Yeah. You got your tickets. Yes. Well, I have mine. I don't know that Nathan has his. We got to worry about that. But yeah, I we know have tickets. It, it's good tickets. People have been uh, struggling to get tickets for that game. So yeah. um, I know there are folks that book travel without having tickets. So we'll, yeah. hopefully that all works out. Uh, uh, last, never least, uh, our Canadian brother, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons. Dude, uh, that was a game. That was a game on Sunday, man. That was fun. Uh, what, what was going on in your brain watching that game unfold? It was wild. It was wild. And I know my buddy Evan here has been saying for years, what happens when the offense and defense plays well at the same time? And we really haven't seen it much. And that was it. And the first quarter, it was kind of weird, even though it went up 17, nothing, it still felt a little sloppy. And I, I know Brian, you kind of felt this way. At first I thought they were kind of going to blow it. And Gino was like forcing balls, but then the second half, they just like exploded. And a lot of the stuff we talked about on the show last week with the Chargers really came to light. We'll get into that a bit later. So. But it was kind of cool just seeing the Seahawks hit on all cylinders, offense, defense, special teams. And again, Evan's been saying that. A lot of people have been saying that for years. Why can't they play well at the same time? We finally got to see it. Evan, what was your expectation? when? I mean, you, you obviously decided to go see this game not knowing necessarily what to expect, probably not expecting a victory. Like... When you bought the tickets, what did you think this game was going to be like? When you're on your way to the stadium, what did you think this game was going to be like? And then, like, as it started, like, take us through your progression. I love that question because we bought the tickets in August, I want to say. It was like the first week of August. So Josh and I bought the tickets with a singular goal just to watch Justin Herbert you know, young, young quarterback <laughs> in the NFL, you know, like exciting Patrick Mahomes potential level trajectory. Like you're, you're just excited to watch a good player. Um, so that was our original intention, you know, Seahawks being a secondary sort of priority there. Um, but as, as it got closer to Sunday, I actually get started getting progressively nervous because I've slowly been talking myself into this team being a legitimately good football team. And my concern heading into this game, guys, was this felt like a little bit of a statement week before the outcome of the game. And I'll tell you why. I had a hard time, and I was telling Josh this, he can back me up on this. I had a hard time seeing this team making the playoffs or being viewed as legitimate as a legitimate playoff threat if they started the season three and four. So four losses through seven weeks would be difficult to, I think, secure one of those top seeds. Although the NFC is pretty wide open right now, but heading to LA, you know, beating the chargers, I know they've had their struggles, but 
you know, that's, that's still a good football team at the end of the day. Justin Herbert is still a stud at the end of the day. One of the quarterback NFL's best young quarterbacks. And they went in there and for the most part dominated. Um, even when the chargers came back, you know, and scored like 14 straight points and, in, in that first quarter, which lasted forever, by the way, in that stadium, it was it the longest first quarter ever. I, 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 we were looking at each other like, I, I, because I had my flight after the game, guys. I was like looking at Josh, like, how long is this fucking game gonna go on for? Because I'm gonna be delaying my <laughs> flight at this point. Um, <laughs> but even, even when you know we kind of let up and let the Chargers score 14 straight points, we still felt in control. And in and I remember very vividly looking, turning to Josh and looking at him at one point and just being like, this team is playing with a level of confidence and a level of, it's almost like they're just having fun playing football. Yeah. And, and there's a certain level of confidence that comes with it. Uh, I think just externally on their faces, how they're playing. And this team is exciting. This was a big win. Um, they felt in control the entire game. Uh, let me tell you, uh, I had a perfect uh, visual. So there's, so let me back up a little bit. In 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 SoFi, I don't know if you guys have been. Um, there's technically five deck levels, and Josh and I were at the first row of the second deck level. So it was like the 200 section. Bougie. It, I know. It, well, it, it was it was like 90 bucks at the when we bought it, whatever. But um. But uh, we had a perfect view of, of, of the Chargers fans, you know, reacting to the game. And I'll tell you this, when Kenneth Walker pulled that 70-whatever-yard touchdown run and, and Geno Smith did the good night, you know, simple. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, oh, he milked it too. He ran <laughs> through the end zone and he was like, he was like, good night to the Chargers fans. And he held oh. it, he held it for like five to six seconds. And let me tell you, every second he held it, Chargers fans got exponentially more angry. And it was just, I've never fully bought into a player in that moment in my entire life. So it was an amazing experience to go. Uh, Jeff, I do think you hit the nail on the head though. That stadium does feel soulless. It doesn't feel like a football stadium. It doesn't feel like a sports stadium, maybe because, because they have to turn it over for the for the Rams. I don't know what it is, but um, it feels like an event stadium. It doesn't feel really mm. like a like a Seahawks stadium or like a Lambo yeah. type situation. So all in all, had a ton of fun, but uh, this was a big, big win for this team and honestly was a statement win from my perspective. A hundred percent, Dana here's the thing. I mean, I've talked about this as being a pivot game. I thought it was a pivot game for the Seahawks. I thought it was a pivot game for Geno Smith. And part of what's been fun about this team is like, none of us had high expectations, right? (laughs) So like, it's fun. Like Geno has come out of nowhere to be like a great quarterback, not just good. He's been great. And now even then, the Seahawks defense was so bad or the special teams were so bad. It was still like, ah, the Seahawks are still like not so good. All of a sudden the defense, they were not like, they were the 31st ranked DVOA defense mm-hmm. weeks one through five, second to worst in the NFL. The last two weeks, they didn't just improve to like 20th or 15th. They are the number one ranked defense in the NFL over the last two weeks. That is insane. And they just went into Los Angeles and like that game was not close. Like, yes, they came back, Mm -hmm. but really like the Seahawks handled them. 
So my question to you, Dana, is mm -hmm. do you allow yourself to have expectations of this team yet? Or are you just going to like still just whatever happens will be great? Where are you at with this? Uh, I'm a little bit of both. I, you know, I was just enjoying everything that was going on it, probably until this week when the defense was so good. And I was like, damn it. They're going to make me care about each and every game again. And I didn't want that this season. Jeff and I have said it a million times. There's no stress. We're just enjoying this week, you know, this season, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like, oh, crap. Might they be good enough to win this division? I don't know. I, I, I think that the biggest pivot point this whole week with this game was probably for Geno Smith's wallet next year. I think that's going <laughs> to be the biggest pivot point. But I will say this. It is fun to watch other fans react to what's going on. I've seen a lot. I have a ton of different teams, fans on my Twitter, and all of them are like, oh, those Seahawks, they're starting to get good. And then one of the rankings I sent you guys, they're like, oh, here come the Seahawks. And it's like, oh, my God, everyone else is starting to buy into it, too. And yep. I didn't think that that would happen. But the, the top for me, without question, was Rich Eisen's show the other day when he mm. was talking. I don't know if you guys watched that six-minute rant about the Seahawks, but he was the lone wolf, and he took the Seahawks on Sunday before the game, and then he did this whole rant. And I was like, yes, this feels so much like that young, spry, exciting 2013 team again. And I'm not comparing the defenses again. Legion of Boom is a historic level defense. We know that, right? That's separate. But the feel of it, the fun of it is back. And there's no dread because even honest to God, if at this point they completely fall apart, it doesn't matter because we had a great time for a while. But I'm starting. Mm, I'm starting to think that I can see maybe nine to 10 wins out of this team now. And I was at five. Uh -huh, Remember, uh -huh. I was at five. Oh, here's how it starts. Damn Jeff, it. I, I mean, Evan. <laughs> like Dana's Dana's talking about Rich Eisen and, and Rich. I, uh, yeah, he, he was, he was referring to a post game quote for, for Pete saying like, who to thunk it. And it, he basically was saying, you know what Pete was actually saying? He was saying, how do you like, are we cooking now? Are we cooking now? How do you like the way we're cooking now? And he went on a six minute rant about <laughs> whether Pete did not say that, Evan, this is what Rich was saying. Oh, I nearly just had a heart attack. <laughs> I thought you were saying Pete said that. I was like, what? Wow. No, but it was, it How was. great would that have been though? <laughs> oh my God. It would have been great. So, so Jeff, I mean, here's the thing, like the Seahawks, Laugh or not, they're in first place all alone in the NFC West. They, for the first time this year, are in the top 10 for Super Bowl odds via DVOA. They are the seventh ranked team by DVOA. Their, their defense has gone from 29th to 18th in two weeks. Uh, what is your expectation for this team? What do you... like? Forget whether you want to have those expectations or not. What, what do you feel like is a reasonable expectation for this team right now? I think they can be a playoff team. And if you asked me that two months ago or three months ago, there's no way in the world I would have said that. But you look at how they're doing it and how they're winning it, I think it's very sustainable. And I get laughed at by my family and some of my friends. I love the NFL draft. Like, I know you guys know from like the Seahawks perspective, how into it I get, 
but I just like it from the whole league. And this is why I like the NFL draft because a team can go from a super bleak roster outlook to an emerging team with one draft. And that's why I like it. I like to follow it. And the Seahawks now have one of the emerging rosters in the league. And I came on the show last week and Brian, I was talking to you and Nathan about just, I was cautiously optimistic on the defense because of how, what I saw in Arizona. And it, it was, they made some adjustments with the defensive line that unleashed their talents a little better. And me and Evan had a lot of texts at the beginning of the year, like where's Puna for where. And if you look at the last two games, Puna's like, he had a sack a couple of games ago. He's blocking passes at the line of scrimmage. They made a change that adjusted. And in both these games, their fronts took over the game. There's a stat with Chenna being, I think he had, he had 11 pressures last week. And Quentin Jefferson, you're seeing. Shelby Harris has been good. And if you combine that with some of the things we've seen on the back, and Quandre Diggs and Ryan Neal had their best games of the year. So I don't think I had questions about the offense. All of our questions were defense. But the whole question, if you watch the games, is you can't run any defense when your front gets killed. And now that they have a defensive line that's playing well, and I think they can play pretty functionally, a good offense with a functional defense and emerging players. And I remember, I, I, remember, I can't remember if it was Dana or someone. And this is what I'm talking about. Before the year, I had some, I think it was a Jets fan writing me. I, I can't remember if it was you, Dana, or someone else. They were saying the Seahawks had like the bottom three tackle group and bottom three corner group in the league. And I said, I just didn't understand that output. And they said, well, you have a bunch of rookies. I don't really understand how you can count on these guys. And I, the NFL is different. Now, the league changes year to year so much because of rookies. Rookies completely change rosters and their ceilings. And you look at the Seahawks tackles, and I said, their group should be fine. That could be a top 10 group now because of those rookies. And the corners, too. So rookies and young players are what changes ceilings in the NFL. And the Seahawks have six impact rookies. And they went from a roster that looked totally bleak last year outside a quarterback to one of the best young rosters in the league that's only going to get better in the next next draft. So I don't see how your expectations are playoffs when it's the young guys completely dominating and the whole roster seems it, to be coming together. It can't just be about playoffs, though, Evan. I mean, <laughs> it, the Seahawks didn't just beat the Chargers. The 49ers traded what is the equivalent of the number four overall pick for a running back who was the second leading rusher on their team this week. And they lost by over 20 points at home. So tell me like, how sweet would this be if the Seahawks with six rookies in the starting lineup, Geno Smith at quarterback, take the division from the 49ers with George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and Hufanga and Eric Armstead and Nick Boats. Like how just amazing would that be? How much content could be generated? Yeah. I mean, fuck the 49ers. First of all, I mean, fuck them. Fuck those miserable not gonna say that word actually um <laughs> i just did it's okay though uh yeah I, I i guess my my brain goes to this brian and i thought you were gonna go in this original direction but you went on a fuck the 49ers rant which i appreciate um is there a team in the nfl that this team can't beat 
Now, the only team that gives me pause is the Bills. Yeah. <laughs> and the but, Chiefs, probably. Uh, see, I, Dana? I have, I have some. Fair. I have some. Uh, I have some cautious optimism about that Chiefs game. Really? They, they lost to the Colts. Well, yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, I'm. I'm glad you have optimism. Seahawks, as 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 this is a very normal <laughs> dynamic here, where I'm have, having to talk you into optimism for the Seahawks. <laughs> um, the Seahawks the defense time. is on the. You know, ascending point here. They are they are looking better every single week. The Seahawks have one of the best offenses in the NFL. I I don't. If the Seahawks, all I'll say is this: If the Seahawks get to the playoffs, if I'm an opposing team, I don't want to play them. They can beat anybody. And that yeah. probably is because they have nothing to lose, right? At Correct. this point, they're and playing those are with the a freedom teams in football. One hundred percent. It's a freedom yeah. of confidence, and they're just flat out good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You like, know what I, I don't think we've talked about enough? Hmm. I, I lost in all of this because, honestly, the defense has been so bad. But Sean Desai and Carl Scott, we were excited about them in the offseason, right? Cool. And then it was like, oh, maybe the secondary isn't so good. It was, what? The secondary has been pretty damn good oh, man. the whole year, right? Except and Josh I, don't think we've men- I don't think we've mentioned their names. <laughs> What's that? I just said, except for Josh Johnson, who we won't talk about. Josh Ryan Jones, Hill. yes. Ryan Hill. Josh awesome. I, right. I mean, Jeff, like, uh, I don't know if you heard Kobe Bryant mentioned in his press conference that after every practice, he's working with Carl Scott, like, and how much he has helped him develop. Like, those guys are doing a great bang up job in the secondary. Yeah, and Mike Jackson had probably what his best game of the season. He should have had two interceptions. I don't know how he dropped that second one. That was pretty bad. Um, but yeah. Ryan Neal had a phenomenal game. So a lot of people calling for the Josh Jones for Neal switch. I've <laughs> definitely been rewarded. Neal could have been defensive player of the week. So, and like the way they've developed these young guys, Kobe Bryant, as Brian pointed out, I think after the Arizona game, how much better he looked in coverage and his tackling looks a lot better. And have you guys seen his Twitter picture? that's so good (laughs) so yeah i I don't think we talked about sean decide kyle scott like we talked about Tariq woolen but these guys developed him and made him comfortable and just such a difference team this and we spent so much time last few years talking about the corner group it's funny a lot of people we would have thought it would have been already burns and st jones playing this year and those guys hundred percent they're on the inactive list and to have those guys as depth it's a really, really strong group. And like, I laughed at Pete at the end of the year when he's like, Oh, we have the fastest team we've ever had. Like, Oh God, like shut up. You're starting to see it. Like these guys can fly. And yeah, the coaching hires, they look damn good. And a couple of weeks ago, these defensive was such a disaster, but yeah, that DB group, that's a good call up, Brian. They've been really solid. You don't even think about them anymore compared to the last few years where corners were a nightmare. I want to well, shout out. And, can go I ahead. Just shout go out Daryl Taylor for actually making a play on Sunday. Dude, when he gets to the quarterback, he comes oh. away with the ball. I'll give him that. Three sacks, three strip sacks. But his return on that fumble was the slowest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I heard KJ talking about today too. KJ was like, "I don't know what the hell he was doing. He wanted to be tackled. <laughs> it was the slowest return I. He could easily. Had a he's touchdown. pretty. He's a pretty fast guy too, right? Yeah, I thought he was scoring on that. Uh, but like. Trey Brown, 
this is a guy we were all excited about last year. I mean, Dana, like the news, news of the day, Trey Brown uh, and Travis Homer, less exciting there, but, but have both been uh, set to come back off of injured reserve. And LJ Collier too. Don't forget LJ. Oh yeah, he was added to the active <laughs> roster. So I was I was wondering if they were just gonna like cut him because they had to or like put him back on IR or something. But Trey Brown looked like a really good starter last year, mm-hmm. and that was like the one guy that we had you know thoughts about. Mm-hmm. And it was a couple years ago. It was like we don't have a single corner that we're feeling good about, and now. Where do you put Trey Brown? And if you put Trey Brown in over Mike Jackson, then you've got Mike Jackson and Artie Burns and Sidney Jones and like on and on and on. Like, do you sit Kobe Bryant? I don't think you could sit Kobe Bryant right now. So like, holy crap. I mean, Trey Brown won't be back right away, but this could be the best young cornerback trio in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen, and Trey Brown. And, and Pete, Pete even said today, he said, do you remember how good he was when he got hurt last year? Do you remember how good he was? And I'm like, yeah, I do remember how good he was. And the fact that Pete's so excited, I mean, think of it. I mean, it's, it's a first world problem, right? Let's just say, oh, well, where is he going to play? Poor guy. I don't know. Rotate the hell out of him and make sure nobody gets hurt. It could be just such a good time. I, I have been talking about Sean Desai though, then in the off season, I remember you guys, I told you guys, I really thought he was brought in to be the next head coach. I really felt like they brought him in. They wanted to see what he could do with young talent. And I really still get the feeling that they're wanting um, him to move up or, or, or something. Cause he's so, so smart. And he's right up Pete's alley, right. With all of his degrees and education and motivational speaking. <laughs> but I was worried after the beginning of the season Oh my God, what he's done with these young players and the way he's developed them. Think if he had control of the whole team. I mean, it would just be so fun. And, and I think that it's this youth movement that they're getting as long as we don't have a lot of injuries and knock on wood, we have been really lucky so far, even though we've had, you know, DK and stuff like that, but no, in that talent level, and they're running around like puppies, right? Like they said at one point, Tree Bullen didn't even know what he's doing. He was just running around out there just doing whatever he wanted to do. And mm-hmm. they still kind of act like that, which makes me nervous that someone could get hurt because you just don't have quite that vet um, site, you know, the veteran football player site yet. But um, they're just a lot of fun. And, and I think that, oh, darn, we have one more young, fun player to add to the mix. I mean, it brings up all the trade possibilities and we're in the trade period of time. Mm-hmm. And like Evan, Jeff, uh, Dana, like, Sydney Jones, like the Seahawks are clearly trying to shop Sydney Jones. I wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to shop, you know, other guys where they've got some depth, which is just crazy. There's a lot of corners on the market. I don't know if they're going to get a taker or not, but a name came up today. I don't know if you guys have seen this uh, on the trade market, uh, a defensive tackle in Washington, uh, Deron Payne uh, is someone that the commanders are actively looking to move. He plays defensive tackle, which we've all talked about as an area we have some questions about. The word is he'll be a free agent next year, so they're not going to be able to get top top compensation for him, but the expectation is a second or third round pick for Deron Payne. And Deron Payne at times has been like one of the better defensive tackles in football. He hasn't been playing quite that level the last year or so, but curious. Like we've been very anti moving any draft capital um for free agents Ro- Ro- roquan smith has been a guy that everyone keeps bringing up and we're like no 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 
Um, anybody biting on Deron Payne? Jeff's a no. Not really. Evan's a no. Dana? Yeah, no, I don't think. I mean, I would have to know more about him, to be quite honest with you. I don't really know much about him, but I don't know. Even a third round pick sounds expensive to me. So his salary yeah. is pretty high. He's so. a dude. He's is a, he a like, dude? He's, he's a good player. So okay. like this is a 15 pick, but the defensive tackle's been fine. The Seahawks. I didn't realize, yeah, he was a first rounder. Yeah, he was a yeah. 13 overall. Yeah, he was a high pick. Uh, Alabama. Yeah, this, Ooh, he's gonna be intrigued. He's gonna be a top free agent for sure. Like he will get a boatload of money from somebody. I, I am not. I, I'm not on board. Like if, if it was a fourth round pick, I'd maybe be on board. But I don't mm-hmm. think there's any chance you're getting him for a fourth round pick. I don't know, Jeff. I I'm not totally bought into the defensive tackle group being. I think the defensive tackle group is a tryhard group, and we got a couple guys that are like slightly above average. We don't have a single dude in there. Like no, no, even I would as much as I love him. To me, it's just sort of what you're saying with San Francisco, and San Francisco is so all in now, and the Seahawks have such a good thing going. I think you got to keep playing the long game. I think the Seahawks are in the perfect spot, and they don't need shortcuts. And try to sign this guy in free agency. That's my, that's where I, I, I agree. I agree. Anybody, you know, that the Robert Quinn deal just came down, traded from the Bears to the Eagles for what was that, like a sixth round pick? Fourth round pick, fourth round pick. This guy had 18 and a half sacks last year. Uh, if that had been the Seahawks, any of you would have been, how would you have felt? Would you have been like excited? Would you have been like, uh, what did you do that for? He really has not been playing well this year. And Mm -mm. so it makes me think that, that they know something we don't um, and whether or not that's an injury or a sustained something or other, but this has not been his year. Yeah. He was great last year, but um, does he maybe just need to change the scenery? Possibly. I mean, that's what Rokon Smith keeps asking for too, but um, I don't think I would have been excited for that as, as excited as a lot of the Eagles fans were, and they were very excited. So kudos to him, but. I don't know. I, I, I'd be okay with that trade, honestly. Like, he's such a Robert Quinn. I, I don't know how closely you guys have followed his career all the way back to um, LA. He's such a streaky player. He, 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 he like yo yo's year to year. He, he's like an elite pass rusher one year. Next year, he's garbage. And he's been doing this for literally like 10 years. Um, I do think if Seattle were to make a move, uh, pass rush is probably the place to do it. And, and this team could get some serious uplift from it. I don't think they should be buyers at the trade deadline, but they should be, they should be seeing if any value rears it, rears its head. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of my broader question is like, assuming let's say, I think we're all pretty much on the same page of like, not more than maybe a fifth, a sixth, seventh, like looking for one of those kind of deals what position would you target for me? Maybe the top position I'd look at right now is actually receiver. I, I have, I have some concerns about our receiver depth and, and what's going on there. Hopefully we got lucky with DK Metcalf. We'll find out. I don't expect him to play this week, but you know, if he had gone down for a length of time, I don't love our depth there, but there seems like there's a few receivers. Otherwise, like, I don't know if there's a position I would really like defensive tackles, probably the other one that I'd be interested in linebacker. Um, would you be interested in DJ Moore at all? 
I don't think so. I, I, because that's the kind of deal that's going to be a shortcut kind of deal. You're not, you know, you're going to have to give up a lot, pay him a lot and not have him under club control for that long. Like, so I, I'd be more interested in a guy that's like going to be a free agent the next year that you can give up like a fifth or sixth round pick for. I, that's not DJ Moore. Got it. That makes sense. Um, Evan, um, I know you got to run here in a sec. Can we take a couple of patron questions before you head out? Let's do it. All right, Dana, hit us up. If people mm-hmm. haven't already, please uh, give the show a like, um, subscribe to the channel, and go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Get immediate access to the Slack channel. Be able to ask us questions every week. Uh, talk with other folks about the Seahawks all day, all night, whenever. And it all goes to a good cause. So head on over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Dana, what questions do we have from patrons this week? Well, Derek Woods asked if there's one position or player that you'd like to see the Seahawks trade for, who or what is it? And I think we've just kind of answered that. I, I Again, I'm, I mean, I, I'm fine with them just staying pat till the draft, but that's, that's just me. Anyone now, are there any player? Answer? Can I, can I twist the question slightly? Are there any Excuse players me? you would like them to shop? Like maybe like a DS Gridge or even maybe like a, like a Puna Ford, maybe? Like Puna Why is Sal- everyone trying to get rid of Puna all the time? <laughs> it makes me sad. I like him too. <laughs> for the record but he just has a big salary this year and he's going to be a free agent next year and i just don't think seattle retains him maybe you get a, a low pick for him no i wouldn't be opposed good, right, to be right. honest i wouldn't be opposed but yeah mostly because quentin jefferson has been an absolute stud for us this year right brian would you like to Not talk really about him <laughs> he's been exactly what he always is Slightly above average. I'm not going to respond. Jeff, what about you? Anyone you want to (laughs) Travis Homer. Who? I hate you. I I can't stand Travis Homer. Jason Myers, maybe. That'd be good. Okay. Okay, Everybody wants to extend Jason Myers now. The guy's been, uh, he's got a whole. He's one good year. Like Robert Quinn. He's the Robert Quinn of kickers. Yeah. <laughs> Super streaky. Okay. Um, Greg Whitworth um, has a two-part question. Which side of the ball do you think is most important to watch this game? And then the other part is which aspect of that side will be the key deciding factor, secondary O-line wide receiver, et cetera. Uh, Brian, why don't you start? <laughs> I was responding to a chat. Take someone else. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Jeff. <laughs> uh, I think for this game, it's going to be defense and specifically run defense. Uh, if you've watched the Giants at all, they basically have zero receivers and they have no passing game at all. And they've won every game in some of the strangest ways. They're one of the best situational teams. But the one thing about them is Saquon Barkley is playing out of his mind. He's been probably the best running back in the league this year. And he dictates their whole offense. And we saw at the beginning of the year what Seattle's defense is like when they can't stop the run. So the last two games they played, they, they did nothing against Austin Eckler. They took over that game. They did great against Arizona with Nathan's favorite running back in Arizona. And so this game is going to be a really telling point of where this run defense is and whether or not they've actually turned a corner. And to me, if you can take Saquon Barkley and limit him or take him out of the game or slow him down, I think the Seahawks could roll in this game. But if Saquon takes over the game, the Giants are going to have a chance because of how good they are blitzing and 
So to me, it's by far a run defense against Saquon. Yeah, and and just to jump on there since I uh, mm-hmm. fumbled this fumbled the handoff there. Uh, it's not just Saquon, right? It's Daniel Jones. And if you look at the Seahawks against the uh, Cardinals, they played great run defense, but Kyler Murray ran for 100 yards. The week before, Taysom Hill ran for 3,000 yards and 7,000 TDs. So they do have to account for the quarterback. Daniel Jones is a much better runner than he is a passer. And so this is this should be doable. Like the the, the benefit is... The Seahawks weren't really prepared for Taysom Hill. We can, I think we all agree that's not good coaching, but they really hadn't used Taysom Hill that much this year. That was the first game that he became featured. Then it, it, Kyler Murray has not been nearly the active runner that he was in, in that game. So this game, you know, going in, Daniel Jones is going to be running the ball. So hopefully, hopefully they're ready. Yeah, this game's going to be interesting because I was looking at some of the more advanced metrics on the Giants, and it's interesting. Um, They're top three in time of possession, and through the first three quarters, if you look at their EPA per play, they're really bad, like bottom 10 in the NFL. And then in the fourth quarter, both offensive offensively and defensively they they skyrocket to top five so they're really a team that is winning the game in the fourth quarter and keeping it i'm not kidding they haven't won a game this year by more than one uh by more than one possession difference and it it almost feels like a like a bad version of a pete carroll uh football team frankly so they have a bad they're six and one well, I I, th- I think they are objectively worse, like metric wise. They could easily easily be one in six, though. I, I really think it's that yeah. close. A hundred percent. And Dana, we will get to yeah. other questions, so apologies, but this this You're is good. A, a good place to to take a second. Like they are objectively bad at passing the ball, um, and they are very good at running the ball defensively, like they're actually awful. Like they can't defend the run at all. They're one of the worst run defensive teams in the league from a PFF has them as the 32nd ranked team overall, the dead last from like last and they're six and one. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, So you've got this just weirdness and they've, they have not, I think they haven't scored more than 27, Mm -hmm. but they haven't allowed more than 24. So like, they're this team that basically they run the ball. They hold on to the ball. They're one of the top time of possession teams. They muck it all up. They don't turn it over. And then their defense is really good on third down and really good in the red zone. So teams are settling for field goals. And like, then, like you said, something turns, like the, but they're beating good teams yeah. too. They beat the Ravens. Tariq Wollin does have three more interceptions than their entire defense all season long. <laughs> it's, you not that's not a joke defense. like it's just a bunch of no names yeah like they got Thibodeau in the draft but the rest of their team the, it's like I th- name four of their players in their secondary or I I think the key like, with know- this game guys though is like we cannot let this blow it wide open early the Giants are not a team that can come back you know from 10 14 down yeah. they're not going to they're not good enough yeah. they can't handle the pressure mm-hmm. this to me they feel what what is it the Steelers was it two seasons ago went like 11 and oh what there was a team yeah it was that a team. yeah that just kept winning and yet 
they weren't very good. Like you knew that once they got to the playoffs, they weren't going to be very good. Bye, Evan, by the way, bye, Evan's left us, but um, <laughs> that they just weren't all that good, but they just kept winning in these tight little weird ways. I get that feeling from the Giants. And to be honest with you, I'm thrilled for both New York teams. I'm glad that they're doing well. I'm very happy about that. Um, I just want them to do well this week, but I, I get that kind of feeling that eventually they're going to fall off the cliff. Yeah, it, it, it's a fascinating one. Yeah, let's let's take another question yeah. and we'll keep going. All right. So Jason A, um, I want you both to answer this. This is a good question. So Jason A has asked, do you have any interest in re-signing Drew Locke as a backup next year to see if what he's learned after a year of good coaching and maturing behind role model Gino? I love what they called him. He says, and could he take possibly take a Gino style jump as a young system quarterback? Jeff? I'm going to say no. I, I have no real tie to G- Drew Locke. And frankly, I think if they do bring Geno back, I think that spot should be with a rookie quarterback. <laughs> so I, I would say no. I don't think Drew Locke fits any of the ways Pete wants to play. Agreed. I've got a few things to say about this, Dana. I, I okay, got to get I'm some ready. stuff off my chest. Okay. About You're unlocking a monster. I know where this is going. So. <laughs> I was like, I'm all like giddy about how the Seahawks are playing and how things are going. And I, of all the things that I like, I probably like the Geno Smith story the best. I just love it. And part of the reason I'm reveling in that story is because it's one in a million. It's like a diamond in the rough. Like it is so rare to see what we're seeing. And we won the lottery. Like we, we literally won the lottery with this guy, this never happens where someone else's trash is a treasure. Like it just doesn't happen in the NFL at the quarterback position of all positions. But something's happened where now all of a sudden on Twitter, it is that like Pete is a quarterback whisperer. Pete, look what Pete found Russell Wilson. Pete has always been a quarterback whisperer and Pete will just do this with Drew Locke. Drew Locke is the next Geno Smith. All of that is wrong. It is so fucking wrong. Like I've defended Pete about a lot of things. People think I'm a total Pete sympathizer. I try to just like tell you how I believe things to be. I think Pete's a great coach. I think Pete has a philosophy that can be friendly to quarterbacks. I think he is focused on things that can be helpful for uh, uh, emphasizing a quarterback strength. I think he's great at focusing on what a player's strength is and optimizing for it. So that's across the board. There is no way in hell he knew that Geno Smith was going to be this good. No way in hell that he was thinking this was going to happen. And neither did John. So this whole idea that Pete somehow like is a mastermind relative to quarterbacks, like I don't buy it at all. And then this idea that Drew Locke will be the next Geno Smith, there will not be a next Geno Smith. Like anyway, more that you say there was the next Kurt Warner who came off of bagging groceries to win a Super Bowl, like and a movie's made up. Like you don't get movies made after guys that then the next guy does the exact same thing the next year. Like it's a very rare thing. And so Drew Locke also is a trash quarterback. He has trash tendencies. He has never shown the ability to make good decisions from the pocket. He has talent. And I think that's what a lot of people get excited about. But you don't turn talent into intelligence. You don't turn talent into like pre-snap reads. 
maybe like Gino learned under Philip Rivers. At least he gives a lot of credit for that. Maybe that happens somewhere. I don't see any reason to believe that that's what's going to happen with Drew Locke. And to Jeff's point, don't give me like a veteran backup. Get your young quarterback in the draft next year. It can be in the third or the fourth round. And if he doesn't work out, get one the next year and keep looking. But that's what we have with Gino. We can get him for a few years and find the next young guy at a cheap contract. So had to share. I, I, I find this whole, like, I was amazed. This was like a tidal wave on Twitter this week of people that have this perspective. And I'm like, what is going on? So that's, that's my take. Yeah. So Jason, I think the answer is no. It's just a guess. <laughs> it's just, just no, just no. I don't think so. All right. Um, Gar asked a question about the trade deadline. Also um, very similar to what we've always talked about. Um, about if they were to go to five and three, what's the highest rated draft pick you'd be willing to deal to improve the team? But they, he said, I'm on the side of let's see what happens with the team. I think he kind of agrees with us there. So I just didn't want to think I skipped Jeff Gar. Sorry. Um, and then PCC3 wants to know, damn, I wish Nathan was on here. <laughs> Would anyone change their draft grade on Kenneth Walker? Come on, come so, on. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I had fun with this this weekend. People were telling me to eat it, and I was I was like in the post game, and and like great, I, like I love it. I'm glad people were excited about it, and I'm thrilled. I will always be thrilled when a Seahawks player plays well. Period. I don't care if I was super critical or not. I my grade for the pick was based off of the position, not the player. Similarly, when I gave the D Eskridge pick an F, it had nothing to do with D Eskridge. It had everything to do with the fact that I thought Creed Humphrey was like the center in general was a higher positional priority that early. And so <laughs> when I grade draft picks, so part of what I'm looking at is draft is to help you save money by getting the cheapest, youngest player. And running back position is the cheapest position outside of kicker on your entire roster so spending a second round pick even if they hit they have to be essentially an all pro level player for you to get enough savings for it to be worth it and even then i don't value the running back position enough to say hey let's let's re-sign a guy who's an all pro for a big money contract i don't want that much money going to a running back so from a pick strategy perspective my grade changes zero from a grade of kenneth walker yeah 100 percent. the guy looks like he could be an all pro he could be one of the top three or four backs in the nfl so 100 percent. but hopefully it's clear how those two things are different jeff what about jeff? you um brian yeah brian said it pretty well i'll say this my issue with walker was not walker himself I really liked Walker at Michigan State. I thought he was awesome. My view was this team was going to suck this year. And I thought that the whole setup of this season, this is where I got a lot of the things wrong, was to draft the next quarterback. And I thought everything was setting up to be in the top five. So why I didn't like the Walker pick is I thought it was going to help them in the short term. And I thought that that was kind of going against what the overall philosophy or the organization was. So I didn't really understand that because I saw Walker and I saw his home run hitting skills. I said, this guy's going to help them win games. And to me, I thought this year was about getting in the top five. So now that they're not, I'm more okay with it. But again, 
that pick could have been used elsewhere. But again, Kenneth Walker made one of the most fun players right. of any team right now in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, he is just awesome. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I changed my draft grade a bit. But again, I, I don't think there's any scenario where we'd be talking like playoffs or I thought this team would right. be looking a lot like Carolina at this point. Well, uh, just you one know, more thing on that. Sorry, Dana. Is is no, okay. part of my draft grade at that moment was also I wanted Abe Lucas. Like, <laughs> there's receipts. There's there's receipts for this, by the way. Like, I wanted them to draft another offensive lineman. I'm like, why are you drafting a running back? So once they got Abe Lucas, you'll see my tweets back from the day. I was like, I'm in love with this draft now. Like, if they drafted Kenneth Walker in the third round, I would have felt different. So you could totally say that's like you're proving the point john knew where positions were going to fall and where to take value out of this the draft i think that's a totally fair critique but that's part of where like abe lucas was actually getting picked in the third affected my grade for the second round pick more than how ken walker's playing right now cool i i just want to say i i just will never forget when that i was because i was at the draft and i i told you guys the story about how i was reading on twitter as the draft pick came through and all these people were bemoaning and making such a fit except for the all the reporters around me who were like Seattle just won he is a rock star you just wait and I was like okay because running backs you know we're never sure how they're gonna go but they were right so kudos to you boys it was good cool any other questions oh sorry I was muted that was it all right so Let's get back to this Giants game because I find this to be a fascinating one. Um, Giants are are slight underdogs in this game. Uh, the, the 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 spreads actually been getting closer. I think it's like one and a half now or something around there. And they're six and one. They're playing the disrespect card as well. They should. The Seahawks. I don't think anybody has respected them. Although people have like enjoyed some of the stories around the Seahawks and a lot of people. The most common word I hear to describe the Seahawks from outside of Seattle fans is fun. Yeah. I've, I've heard like 15 different players, analysts, film, you know, all sorts of people, coaches, like they're fun. So Dana, does the fun continue this weekend? Like what, what are you looking for in this game? Um, I, I think that you guys said it perfectly earlier. It is just containing Saquon Barkley. It's seeing what their true danger point is. You know, that the Giants as a whole are a bit of a paper tiger, but, you know, if you look at, you know, where they have their biggest um, strengths, it, it is Saquon Barkley. It, it is. I mean, I, I, yes, Daniel Jones, but if you take Saquon Barkley away from Daniel Jones, he's kind of SOL, you know what I mean? He can run some, but really that is it. So, I want to see this game plan for Saquon Barkley. So how to stop the most important player. Now, I'm not worried about the line. I'm not worried about the offense. I think they can easily keep up. But I just want to see that game plan and how they're going to um, affect that. Now, I think it's a huge benefit to Seattle that this game is in Seattle and not in New York. And I think that the fans that show up will go back to the fans of old like they were in that first game of the season and really be hollering and, 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 and playing their part as they like to say. Um, but I just want to, I want to see them step up to the plate in against Saquon Barkley, who is their biggest threat without question. 
Jeff, there's some interesting pieces to this game matchup wise. So the Giants lost Evan Neal. Yeah. Their their right tackle. They lost their starting left guard. I think his name is Bradison. I can't remember for sure. They lost their rookie tight end, who's been a good player for them. Mm-hmm. Uh so I think that you lose two of your starting offensive linemen on a team that's really reliant on running the ball. I think that's of note. You've got Wink Martindale, <laughs> uh, a, def- a coach, and Brian, uh, defensive coordinator, and you got Brian Dable as as the head coach. Really well coached team, smart, like, and. Then you've got Dexter Lawrence on the inside as well as Leonard Williams. Seahawks really haven't faced stud defensive tackle. JJ Watt maybe a little bit, but like really like they oh, haven't man. faced maybe two stud yeah. defensive tackles, and that's not the strength of our offensive line. So there's a lot of stuff there that to chew on. I'm kind of curious what grabs your attention. Yeah, I think number one, the injuries are a good thing because the Seahawks are catching the Giants at a really good time. They are a depleted team just from like a personnel standpoint on offense. And Evan Neal's been an awesome run blocker this year. Not great on pass blocker yet, but really, really good run blocker. He's completely changed. Their left tackle is really, really good. But without the bookends, it changes things a little bit. Just imagine going from Abe Lucas to Stone Foresight or something like that. So that changes things. Bellinger has been really, really good tight end blocker. He opens up the pass game a little bit. So they are fortunate the Seahawks do have a chance there. But to me, the matchup of this game that catches my eye is Wink Martindale against Shane Waldron slash Geno Smith. And Brian talked about the defensive tackles. That's fascinating. But Wink Martindale, if you guys have ever watched Baltimore the last few years, is one of the more aggressive coaches with blitzes. and He's really creative. They have like three guys line up in the same gap last week where Thibodeau and Williams were – they're just really creative. And we saw what happened with Arizona and how they blitzed Geno and how it kind of threw him off a little bit. So to me, that's a really fascinating matchup, how they handle these blitzes, how they do a lot of creative like corner blitzes, all out blitzes. And it's led to a lot of turnovers in the fourth quarter, which I haven't talked about. It's how they keep winning these games. Even like Lamar Jackson turned the ball over twice. Last week, Lawrence turned the ball over a few times. They fumbled. So to me, if the offense can hold up against these Wink Martindale blitzes, which are really creative. And and this is one of those games where like if Russell was playing, I'd be a lot more nervous because of how he handles these kind of things. And we saw what the Giants did to him a few years ago. And like the pre-snap movement and how Shane Waldron can call runs against these blitzes. And it's going to be, to me, that's really, really interesting. Obviously the Saquon storyline is huge. And these guys are just a really, really well-coached team. They don't have a lot of talent, but Brian Dable, Wink Martindale, probably one of the better coaching duos in the NFL right now. So I think how Gino handles these blitzes and if they can – it's sort of what I've been talked about before. If the Seahawks can pull away, I think this game could be pretty one-sided. I, I, I love that specific thing. Like this is for both of you, but like, uh, there will be some looks for Gino to have to prepare for, and probably some looks that he won't have been able to prepare for that chess match feels like it could be amazing to watch. And I'm curious, like, do you feel like, if you as a quarterback can figure that out, there's chances for potentially huge plays. If you don't, it can be critical, like uh, fatal mistakes. So Dana, like, do you find yourself feeling like excited about that? Like that Gino is going to be able to take advantage or do you feel concerned? What's your dominant feeling there? 
I'm still not concerned about this game. I, and you asked me at the beginning of the show how if my expectations of the team had had changed. And, and to be honest with you, I'm so happy that I have four wins. Like I, I never would have thought they'd be even at four four week eight, right? So I'm excited about that. Um, but this team is very different than I thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. I had this as one of the Seahawks wins um, because I, no, I don't think any of us expected them to be six and one. But I'm excited to watch, to see if, the offense can step up and, and change things up. And then if the defense can continue what we've seen over the last week. So I'm excited about that. And my concern that they won't win, I, I don't care if they win or lose still. I'm still not to that point yet. Um, but I, I want to see how, because I love defense, you know, but how this defense, if they can continue the growth that they have already had over the last over the last couple of weeks and, and even get better because, oh my God, you guys, if, if Gino can handle this defense and what we know that's going to be thrown at them, because they are, the Giants are the most blitzing team in the league, right? Like yep. they blitz all the time. If I'm, if I remember that correctly, yep. um, if they can handle that over four quarters and then the defense can do then we are seeing the complete team that we started out the show talking about that they, that we are truly getting that against a good opponent. Not that the chargers weren't a good opponent. They were really hurt by injuries and there's a lot of change there, but I just feel like, um, I just feel like the giants have really shaked the, I have Brian Dable as coach of the year right now. I, I think if they continue this, I don't think that that's much of an argument, yeah. but so I don't know. I'm pretty excited but I'm not worried about losing if that's what you meant by that. Yeah. I, I, I'm just, I'm fascinated because I'm kind of with Jeff in that I imagine Gino preparing for a, a defense like this. And I'm actually like excited to see how he does. I, I, I think he's smart enough, savvy enough mm -hmm. to where I think that he could play a great game. I have a feeling just, just, just a gut that Gino is potentially going to get better as the season goes on. I think we've been worried about him falling off and that what might part of me is thinking that like, he might be like settling in, locking in. He doesn't have to like worry about whether this role is staying with, he's got this team mm -hmm. and his players, like the, there's no, there's nothing like that was going on with Russ at any time. Like, right. uh, and I'm not turning this back into a Russ conversation, but like, that team is 100% from coaches to players, one through 53, bought in, and the front office bought in to Gino. And mm -hmm. so I'm just kind of excited to see, like, can he get the team in a good position this weekend? And look, since the second week of the season, like, well, since the third, technically, the Seahawks are the number one scoring team in the entire NFL. When you read stats like that, just makes me laugh because we right? were just so wrong at the beginning of the season. It's well, we, anybody that it's was right crazy. is just ridiculous because yeah, that's like there's no reason to have predicted anything else. Um, yeah. Can I yeah, say something I, about yeah, your point that you just made? It. It's actually what Jeff said too. Um, I am. I have more confidence with Gino being there instead of Russ. And again, not a Russ conversation because you know I'm really over that. But because of the adaptability, right? I think that's the word. If you, you feel like Gino will mold and adapt to what's being thrown at him, where Russ didn't, he played his game the way he wanted to play it, no matter what, win or lose. And so that's exciting to see how they can kind of change the mold up a little bit and how they'll deal with it. And there was a great example of that in the last game when DK went out. 
Yeah, my personal opinion was I, I thought we were screwed. I thought, okay, Lockett's hurt, DK's out. And Gino right away, and, and this might have been a Waldron thing, or it might have been the way they just started using tight ends from that point on. Mm-hmm. Whether they, they went right to Parkinson on that play down the sideline. And Will Disley, like I think his first pass of the game where you see him look off two guys, find Will Disley up the slot. Russell didn't do that stuff. He did not adapt like that. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I we don't want to spin this around, but it's exactly what you were talking about in the last game. They the tight ends and the 13 personnel that can really neutralize. We saw what happened last in the last few years when like Tyler Lockett got hurt. They had one receiver and they really had no counter punch. Now with these three tight ends and the running game, and you couldn't have said it better, Dana, because that's exactly what Gino did in the last game. DK goes down and they still are able to keep that passing game going, drive that 10 minute drive. And then they got a field goal where it's just, Tight end, tight end. Noah Fan blew a couple one on a great throw in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's been a pleasure to and it's exactly what Brian just said. Like you see him getting better and doing more, and he's more like he's more complete than any offense we've really seen in Seattle. As good as Russell's elite skills were better than anything Gino has. But Gino is more complete, he uses the entire offense, and it's such a pleasure to watch. I, I th- that play where the Seahawks got totally screwed on the false start and then they had to lose Phil Haynes and then they made him call a timeout. Like, and Gino was livid. I love that Gino was livid. I love that he was yelling at the ref. And I love that Pete told him to calm down. I love that he did. And I loved, that was a dart. Third and 11? Third and 11, if you're calm and nothing's on the line, is not easy to pick up. With all of that on his shoulders, throws a missile right to lock it for 12 yards and he lets out a primal scream that's one of my favorite plays i've seen of the seahawks for years like i loved that it was 12 yards but like i can cheer for that guy i will always like that's a type of player i can get behind so i love that i i think that this game is fascinating for a bunch of different reasons uh i am curious like tight ends you bring up the, the Giants linebackers are awful. Their safeties are not good either. I think tight ends are going to be a big part of this game. Uh, I don't think we should expect to see DK. So that's going to be interesting. And then defensively, run defense. We've been talking about it. Um, that's going to be really interesting. We'll, we'll see how it goes. So with all of that, let's, uh, let's do some picks, folks. Um, and Dana, I'm going to start with you. What is your prediction for this game? Uh. I think Seattle is going to win. And I, I think that that advantage is because they are in Seattle. I think that they will win this. Um, you know, I've been picking higher score wise than you guys have a lot this season, just because I just felt like they were higher scoring games. I don't know that we'll get that out of this one. Um, just because everything you mentioned before time possession with the giants, you're just not gonna have the balls often, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I think I'm going to go. 24 17 Seattle. Okay. Jeff. I'm going to go 27 17 Seattle. Okay. I had my streak broken and I was thrilled about it. Uh, I'm now six and one in predicting Seahawks games. I picked the chargers last week and this one feels, feels clear to me. Like the Seahawks should win this game. And I have 
the only, only, only thing that gives me pause is the coaching of the Giants. I really have a ton of respect for Dable and for Martindale, and I think that they could come up with some things, as they have for every game so far this season, to keep their team close. But the score in my head is 34-13 Seahawks. Like, I just think the Seahawks, I think the Seahawks can be that much better than, than, than the Giants. And I don't know if you guys remember, I mean, I, I'm sure you do. That's silly to even ask, but like I was there in 2005 when the giants came to town and we forced 13 false starts or whatever it was. And they missed field goal after field goal. And it was insane. I am curious. There was a lot of turnover in the stadium this year, a ton of people that were on the wait list to get season tickets, like 30,000, like 20 to 30,000 people that had been on the wait list got season tickets this year because people gave them up. And for my money, what that means is we've had a turnover of like new fans, hungry fans. Sometimes it's not so good. They start cheering when the offense is in the huddle or coming to the line of scrimmage. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. (laughs) But their enthusiasm is significantly higher than the, I think, corporate fans that I think had started filling the stadium the last 10 years i'm curious like this with the offensive line changes could this be a game where the crowd actually affects the outcome of this game as well i think it could be um i'm gonna actually i'm so bummed i'm not gonna be able to be there i'm gonna be flying to new york ironically for work that morning i will land in new york before this game starts and I'm going to try to find a bar where I can watch this game surrounded by Giants fans, hopefully, and hopefully watch the Seahawks just rip their hearts out. That's what I'm hoping for on Sunday. I I have a question for you too. So let's say that happens. Let's say Brian's score actually happens, right? And they just blow the socks off of the Giants. What does that do with the media? What is the media reaction with that? We've gotten so much good press and people are like, oh, they're so surprising. Everyone outside of Rich, who's all in, apparently. But media-wise, I think it explodes after that, don't you? I mean, we know the Rams and the Niners are playing each other, so one of them has to lose unless they end up tying. But um, And I don't even remember who the Cardinals are playing this week. But so Seattle, let's say, let's say they win. They're sitting on top, right? What does that do? The narrative completely changes instead of, oh, they're the good luck Seahawks. It's, are they the powerhouse Seahawks? It makes me giddy. I'm not going to lie. It makes me giddy. What do you think, Jeff? Oh, I, I completely agree. I, so much of media di- this coverage is dictated by New York and what happens in New York. And a lot of the writers came from New York. And if the Seahawks beat, and a lot of people are just talking to the media that this is the game of the week. And if we would have said this, Three weeks ago, while we have all last. The only two winning teams playing each other. Yeah, everyone's fascinated about this game based on how the last couple of weeks have gone. So there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game. Um, the game of the week was supposed to be the Niners and Rams, which is not very appealing to a lot of people anymore. So I think if the Seahawks do blow out, I think a lot of those ESPN shows and NFL Network shows are going to be leading with Seahawks next week. And <laughs> that's not something we could have ever imagined, but. Yeah, I think I think in general there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game. There definitely will be. Brace for this, folks. Though, if the Seahawks beat the Giants in any way, close or or blowout, people will say the Giants were a mirage. 
Yeah, well, like, I, yeah, we won't care. I I don't believe. Yeah, it's fair. The, I think the only time the Seahawks will get real respect is if they beat a team that already has respect, and I don't believe the Giants yet have that. Although the record should should get it. Probably and are. so, I'm talking about like they even the, the 49ers would be a bigger victory right now, even with the worst record. I think how they show up against Kansas City, I'm not. I'm not a like. I'm not that far off from Evan to where I am interested in how that game goes. Might be a totally ridiculous thing to say when we get there, but I think the Seahawks have the pieces and what has been blasphemous for, for, for whatever reason for a while, I think they've got the coaching. I think Pete, people forget Pete actually designed like pretty good defenses against Patrick Mahomes in past years. The Seahawks just blew the doors off the chiefs when they came in to Seattle a few years back. I don't know if you remember that, but they really, really made it hard on Patrick Mahomes. So it'll be in Kansas city. I believe, you know, I pick Kansas city for sure, Yeah, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I don't at this point, right this moment, I wouldn't say I wouldn't go into that game assuming the Seahawks are going to lose by 20 or anything like that. So I, I have a hard time saying that because they of what they just did to the Niners. You know, I sure. would think and, and I and I very the Niners are stupid. Well, A, yes, but B, they have a great defense. So I think that that I don't know. I just I am not so confident against those higher tier teams like that. But you know what? By the time Christmas Eve rolls around who knows we we might have just beat the pants off i'll tell you the game i have completely changed my opinion on and that's the germany game i really Uh, thought tampa bay was just gonna smash seattle and i wasn't gonna care i was just gonna be happy that i was there now i think seattle has that game tampa's bad football team so bad yeah that's the fun part about the season though like sure a lot of us want playoffs to me it's just seeing all these measuring stick games they have coming up where we would look at the rams on the schedule the last four to five years and say there's no there's no chance they win this game like russell and aaron donald like it's totally different now um tampa bay game when you guys said you were going to germany i thought you guys were nuts i'm like you're flying across the world to watch geno smith play tom brady that's nuts <laughs> i thought you guys were nuts right but another measuring stick game for their team's falling apart their offensive line's terrible this Giants team, like they're they're not good personnel wise, but they're probably the best coach team in the league right now. So all these games, it's so fascinating to see just where this team measures up, and they're going to keep getting better and better as we go along. To me, I'm just it's so interesting. Like I I've been this excited for games probably since the Super Bowl years, mm-hmm. and the best part is I'm not stressed if they win or lose. I'm just excited to see where they stack up, and it's a, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I will tell you one guy that that I am looking forward to. We haven't talked about it this week. Um, is I think Bruce Irvin's going to have a big game, uh, and I don't say that I I I don't say that because I'm like a Bruce Irvin stan. Although I do love Bruce Irvin, like one of my favorite Seahawks. But uh, he he was in a he was a factor in his first game uh, against the Chargers. He was getting some pressure, and he seals the edge. He is a physical player. He's a great run defender. And you're going to see a lot of him in this game playing edge instead of Dale Taylor, because Dale Taylor is not good at setting the edge. He's not good against defending the run. So I think Bruce Irvin, 
we might he might end up being one of the more impactful players in this game. I'm really curious. We are going to have to hope that Cody Barton doesn't suck in this game because he's going to be tested. Um, they signed a new inside linebacker. I hope that I doubt he'll play this week, but um, anyway, the linebacker play is going to be super important um, this week. And, and I think Bruce Irwin could be a big part of it. Um, all right. We are past our normal time. We're past bedtime for, for our East coast and central uh, central time zone folks. Thank you to Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter, Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Evan Hill coming on here while feeling feeling ill. Please give the show a like. People are coming on sick to give you Seahawks content. The least you could do is give a quick thumbs up. Give us a rating on, on whatever place you listen to the podcast. We could use a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. And then go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign right up. Get immediate access to the Slack channel. And start talking Seahawks with other Seahawks fans. It's a fun group. People take care of each other in there. And... We will hopefully have some fun stuff to talk about this week. We don't know. Um, and we'll figure out post-game show because I'll be traveling and, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But I uh, would love to do that if time works out. I will be on the East Coast time zone and maybe I'll have some stories from behind enemy lines to share. Until then, everybody, have a wonderful night. Go Hawks and do some high knees, uh, you know, if you haven't already. I will be doing that down the aisle as I fly to uh, 